We are Sarah and Laura. We are doulas, mothers, women, wives, and entrepreneurs. We love a lot of things. The gym, food, coffee, health, kombucha, our families, and our friends. We are so committed to being authentic, honest, and vulnerable and showing up here just the way we are. We promise to never positive wash anything, but please know that we are wholeheartedly committed to radically thriving. With this podcast, we hope to connect on a deeper level and talk about hard stuff. Ultimately, we want women and mothers to know deeply who they are and what makes them feel happy. Whether you're getting into a bath or taking us on a walk with you. Or maybe you're commuting to work. We are honored that you chose our podcast to listen to. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Laura. I feel like it's been forever since we recorded a podcast. It's been like two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) It's fine. Has it? Have we recorded one since Spain? No, not since Spain. Oh, so it has been longer. Yeah. Today we have Melanie, I don't even know how to pronounce your last name, with us. Houston. Houston. And we're excited to get into all things self-love, self-care, parenting, coaching. We're just going to let this go where it goes. Welcome. Thanks for being Thank with you. us. Happy to be here. Um, tell us, we met Melanie on Instagram mm-hmm. and... Uh, she has so many valuable things to offer her community. And I feel like our messages sometimes align. So we're having her on today to talk about all things, um, you know, being a mom, self-care, self-love, parenting. And my hope today is that you will inspire us to not be afraid of the teenage years, because (laughs) honestly, that's what you bring for me. I'm deathly afraid already of those years. And you always seem to calm my nerves that that can be a really beautiful time. So let's jump right in. Um, Tell us a bit about you and what you do and how you got into doing what you do. Okay, so I officially call myself an intuitive energy coach because there isn't a label really for what I do. Kind of pulled that out of my butt and there it is. (laughs) But I am a psychic medium. I am a life coach. I'm an energy healer. I have um, a degree in psychology. I mean, a laundry list of really seemingly unrelated things, but they all have come together to help me heal my own stuff in my life. And throughout every experience and every shift that I had, I kind of started working with clients differently, started offering different things. And honestly, it's an evolution. It still is. I'm actually changing things up again in 2022 because more information is coming forward and you never quite know what you're going to get with me, to be totally honest. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about this mash mashup of, you know, psychology and university um, and then mixing with a more spiritual approach to however you say mental health to whole being yeah. healing. How does being that human go? being yeah, human? Really, yeah, that's what it is. Right. Um, well, it started off with so I had a lot of trauma in my own childhood. And that was cracked wide open when I gave birth to my first child, which so I think is I hear tends you. to happen. Exactly. And all of this seemingly new information was coming forward. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what to do with it. And I had severe postpartum depression, um, chronic anxiety, had a hard time leaving the house. And it was through trying to be okay. So I started with what I knew, which was psychology. I went to therapy. And yes, it helped, but it didn't fix everything. 
And then I would, you know, go to my doctor and try and find more support there. And that didn't work. And I just kept going a little bit further and further outside of my comfort zone, trying to find the answer. And it ended up being energy healing. That was not the only thing that did it for me, but that was the biggest shift was just coming back to the energy that really lies underneath everything. Hmm. That's really cool. I like this journey. It is a journey <laughs> and I'm yeah. still on it. It's yeah. not done. Yeah. I think that's one of the most important things to note for people is that you never actually get there. Even when you're the one leading people, you're yeah. still transforming at the same time. Well, I think not every healer is, but I think a good healer is. Yeah. Right. If you believe that you have reached your destination, you lose some of that passion, some of that drive, right? It's kind of like a clearing of your hands and moving on. And my personal belief is if you are still, there's still work to be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, life is continually happening. It's not like we hit, you know, say 35, we've done our work and everything's awesome. And then life is just sunshine and rainbows after that. Yeah. So we are continually being given new fodder, right? Like new stuff to work on. So how does that work for, I'm thinking about like imposter syndrome specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, I know I have a really hard time talking to people about being a patient, loving, calm parent when I know I still struggle a lot with being that. So I feel like, how could I possibly give that advice? And yet there's a part of me that knows I'm probably the best person to give that advice because I know exactly what you're going through when you're struggling with that. But there's a part of me that's like, I would never do anything with that aspect of my life because how can I possibly be the expert in something I have not conquered? Yeah, and I don't believe, or I don't like the word expert. Like I would never call myself an expert. I'm just a human being that is on a very similar journey. I happen to be a little further down the road. Mm. right so I can let you know well I went down this path and it wasn't so great but this one is really amazing but I'm I'm not doing anything for someone so I don't think you have to be an expert in order to share wisdom support sometimes even just witnessing someone is all that is needed Um, as far as the being a caring patient loving parent I would say why do you have to show up as that It feels like all the other things are what lead to trauma. Is that true? I mean, I don't believe that's true. I believe all of those other things are symptoms of trauma that has already happened. And I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're talking about passing this along to our children, right? We don't wanna do that, is that what you mean? But you wanna be patient and kind and loving so you don't pass it to your kids? Or create it. I guess if, if I am, um, you know, irritated or I'm, I'm yelling or I'm frustrated and impatient, um, I feel like I'm creating in my kid an idea that, that their stuff's not important or they're not heard and seen and loved, or they're, um, they're frustrating to their mother. Right. So maybe, maybe you're showing them that, but maybe you're showing them that your needs are important and that you're allowed to be authentic in your emotions and that even when you love someone, you have bad days 
and hey, let me show you all of the ugly stuff as well as the great stuff and let's talk about it. And let me show you that it's okay for you to feel all of that. Like, I feel it's giving our children permission to be themselves. Perfectionism <laughs> is not. <laughs> so here come the tears. <laughs> tears are good. Oh man. <laughs> it's a good thing we're ovulating. I know. I'm like, <laughs> this is like, okay. I need to take this. I need like a, can we pause this podcast right now? <laughs> Welcome oh, to therapy life. Oh. Would you like me to talk a little bit about what I've done to my kids? Yes. How sure. Take it away. You do something. Okay. My brain so, <laughs> we'll give you a moment. Uh, and this is honestly, I see this. Most of the people I work with are mothers, not all, but most are. And the amount of shame and guilt that they carry for things that they have no control over, it breaks my heart. And that's the biggest work that I often do. Um, so again, I mentioned earlier, I had a really shitty childhood. Uh, a lot of abuse went on. And I swore that I would never hit my kids. I would never touch my kids. I would never do the things that was done to me. And when my youngest came, I had a horrible birth. Like I said, postpartum depression. She was colicky. She was sick. I had no support. And I was, sorry, I almost swore. I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. Or it, it happens. Okay. <laughs> I was fucking pissed. I was pissed off at what had been done to me. I was pissed off that I was having this horrible experience. I was pissed off that no one would help, that no one saw me, right? And again, this is something I think as mothers, a lot of us can relate to. You get up and you do what needs to be done. You change the baby, feed the baby, nurse the baby because it needs to be done. Other people can come in and help, but the sole responsibility, the energy of that responsibility rests on the mother. And I couldn't control my temper. And there were days where honestly, I wanted to pick her up and throw her across the room. And I never physically hurt her. I never touched her inappropriately. I never did those things but I felt so much shame because I couldn't control my yelling and my anger. And I spent a really long time hating myself for that and traumatizing my kid, right? But what I learned throughout this whole process that I've been sharing with you is that I did better, right? I didn't break the cycle completely, but I did the best that I could with what I had and that was enough. And now my kids are teenagers and I'm not like that anymore because I did the work. I healed my trauma. I came to a place where I'm not angry anymore. I have better ways of coping, but I've had those beautiful conversations with my children. Why mommy was angry. Why I used to be like that. Why it isn't your fault. And they're doing their work around it. And they have such an understanding of trauma and of generational trauma and of the mother wound. And of all of these things that often we don't get to learn about until we're parents, right? It usually is again is triggered with birth. And we have decided collectively, myself and my daughters, that we are gonna break this cycle together. But I couldn't do it by myself. And if I continue to feel bad about that and to not be authentic in what I needed and in what I needed to express, not only would none of us be healing now, 
But my kids would think that they had to hide all of that. And that when they lost their shit, that I wasn't gonna love them anymore. And let me tell you, having teenagers, there's a lot of outbursts, reactions, emotions. And now my kids know they can let it all hang out and we're gonna be okay because they've seen me do it and then repair that and come back to love and be okay together. I feel like I just went to church. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Oh, there's so many things in there. Um, Have you read anything by, by David Schnarch? No, I've never even heard that name. Okay. Do I Um, need to? I don't know. I mean, I can't tell at this point if it's helpful or not. He's in some ways I can see that it's helping me to hold on to guilt and shame. He talks about normal marital sadism. He says there are things that we do that are not, he, 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 he come, what made me think of it was when you say, you know, I did the best with what I could at the time with what I had. And that's a very Brene Brown statement. And he challenges that one to say that there are times that we let our parents off the hook for what they did and we need to hold them accountable. Um, And that there are things that we do to position ourselves, to give ourselves a one-up and put people in the one-up, one-down position to, you know, make ourselves feel better. Um, So I think I, I maybe use some of that stuff against myself to mean that I, I hang on to the shame and guilt of um, like, I think I understand the connection, disconnection repair, but um, this idea that like I could ever be healed. I, I don't know. It doesn't, how can you ever be healed from something bad that happened to me? It's always there. It is. It is always there. And maybe it's our definition of healed that is not aligned. Um, But Okay, for, I'm just the example I'm thinking of. I was um, sexually assaulted when I was a teenager, and it took me a long time to even admit that was an assault because I blamed myself for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And every time I would talk about it, I would get sweaty, like my palms would sweat. I'd get nervous. I'd have that visceral, like physical trauma response. Okay. I would shake. Yeah. And get very emotional. And after I did the work around healing that, like, as I am right now, it's always going to be something that happened to me. I'm never going to forget that. It's absolutely part of my story, but it doesn't upset me. I'm not sad. I'm not angry at the guys who did it. I really am not. Like if I saw them on the street right now, I wouldn't want to have a conversation, but I wouldn't be angry. All of the trauma that was attached to the actual event has been released. So the event, the memory remains. But that emotional charge doesn't necessarily have to stick. Okay. Yeah, that Does helps. That explain it. Yeah. Um, I think why I have some some like charge around the concept is we we see a lot of times people talking about like oh I had my healing birth, and I just I guess I kind of reject it as a concept because exactly what you just said the first birth is the one that needs to be healed. It's the one that needs to have the charge taken out of it. It's the one that needs to be talked through so that you no longer shake and sweat when you think about it. And that second birth 
is its own experience and is not maybe the thing that will heal the first one. And when you go into that second one with that expectation that it will, I, I don't know. I think the, the work needs to be separate. Um, I can also hear what you're saying too. I did a lot of therapy around, um, you know, being able to not, I wasn't able to ask for what I needed when I was young and I was eight. And I remember the sentence, you know, mom, can you lay with me and rub my back was something I could not say without shaking, tremoring, caught in my throat, tightness, um, a lot of emotion, a lot of crying. And now I can say that fairly plainly. So I think I hear what you're saying. That's probably something that I've worked on enough that there's not, there's some healing around that. I don't know. There's just something about saying like, and maybe it's just that it's used really flippantly in the online space and there's not enough time to flesh it out. I just feel like when people say like, and then I healed my trauma, it feels like- <laughs> You don't see the work. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, actually, is that actually healed? Is and that for some, it will be. And yeah. some, it won't. There's no, if for anything we're talking, like births, mm -hmm. there are no two births, even with the same woman. Yeah. that look even slightly the same, but they're all birth. Right. Yeah. So healing trauma is going to look radically different for each individual and for each event within each individual, but it can still all be different varieties of healing. Okay, and I, let's, sorry, carry on. I yeah. just, I would like to say something, reply to something that you said about how, you know, the second birth can't heal the first birth. And that people have all of these unrealistic expectations around how the second one's gonna do all this wondrous stuff. Um, my second birth healed my first birth. Okay. 100%. But I also agree with you that that is not something that we should have any expectation around. In fact, expectation really is specifically in birth. I mean, let that shit go, right? Mm -hmm. um, but even in life, expectation is the stuff that trips us up. Totally, yeah, totally. So I feel we can we can hold the truth of both that we really will do better without that expectation, that pressure on your second birth to do anything other than deliver a child. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's always possible for anything to heal your trauma. You can go to the grocery store and drop a box of cereal and someone leans over and picks it up for you and you have a moment and it heals you. Like there's no rhyme or reason in this stuff. When you're ready and when you're open, you'll receive it. Okay. That say, could more be in about, a birth. say more about like what healing is. Okay. Like so said, it's the removal of the charge <sighs> and of the tremor and of the shake. But what, what else? So again, we could go down so many different paths with this, but my, my whole goal in life, and this is my goal for me personally, is to be happy. To wake up in the morning and be like, woohoo, another day. It doesn't mean everything is amazing, but it means that I want to be here. I want to show up and I get joy out of what I do on a daily basis. To me, that's being healed, right? doesn't mean I don't still have stuff to work on. It doesn't mean... You know, I might not lose a job or have an argument or whatever, but it means that I'm in a really good place where I am enjoying myself and I am ready and open to anything that's going to come forward because I have the tools. I've done the work. I know that I can get through whatever comes. And that's, prob that's probably the biggest 
thing that I would call healing. And it's interesting because I never thought about it in this way before. But when I have a challenge come up and a lot of people will call this like a dark night of the soul or, you know, you're crying on the bathroom floor moment. When those come up, often we get so afraid and so unhinged. And what we do is we pull back from it. We avoid it. We tense up. And that just makes it so uncomfortable and so much harder to work through. And because I have done this so many times in so many ways, when those moments come up, like they will for all of us in life, I lean in. I get excited. I know it's going to suck. I know it's going to be hard work, but I know I can do it. And I know the beauty that's on the other side of it. So when something really shitty happens in my life, I actually welcome it now. I don't have that reaction of why me, how is this happening? I can't do this. So when you say, you know, you're, what you want is to wake up happy and to have joy. Um, how does that work? Tie that together to me for around expectation. Like, so you have an expectation <laughs> around happiness, but you're saying you're also happy to lean into the, the pain. Okay. I don't have an expectation of happiness. I have a desire okay. for happiness. Okay. Mm. okay. Very, very different. Yes. Okay. I do not have expectations. Okay. I have learned years ago that when I expect anything to happen nine times out of 10, it doesn't roll out the way that I thought it was. And then, and this is just for me again, everyone is different, but okay. Perfect example is talking to you ladies today. We didn't plan what we were going to talk about. And I don't like planning stuff because when I have a clear plan and then something goes awry, I get upset. I get nervous. I've lost my control. And how do I get back to the plan? But if I just walk into a situation going, I'm super curious what's going to happen. I know that I'm prepared. And if I need help, I'll ask for it. Anywhere you go, it's more joyful. There's more ease in it. Even though it's the exact same experience. If I had planned for it and had these specific expectations, that would would have sucked the joy out of it. Unless everything went perfectly, which sometimes happens, but is that authentic joy? Or is that just checking off your list? I wanted to do A, B, and C, and I did it. I feel like it's so applicable to birth too, that like you can go birth plan and be like, I checked all these boxes, but sometimes like, sure, you checked off unmedicated vaginal birth, but there are still things that could have happened that were beyond your control. That could mean that checking that box doesn't equal happiness. If you just trust in yourself and the people around you, but mostly in your own ability to cope and be resilient, then you're much better off than having some sort of checklist. It's such a loaded word. I mean, for me, my expectation of all birth comes down to gentleness, kindness, and consent. And I think you can go through anything in birth and come out okay if those things have happened. We have watched people have episiotomies, forceps, cesareans, the works, and it comes down to how they were treated and if they understood what was going to happen to them and why. And then people who have unmedicated vaginal births who are treated terribly by an OB and they have trauma. So it's not a, we can live Mm -hmm. through bad things. Um, That doesn't dictate 
I think whether it's registered as trauma or not, but yeah, the expectation is an interesting thing to me um, because people say reduce your expectation. So like have a lower expectation, but I guess that's still an expectation. Yeah, don't have any. I don't know. what. Is, yeah. So you're saying you don't, you don't come in with any expectation. Well, I mean, I'm not perfect. I certainly <laughs> have expectations on some things at some time, but I try to talk myself out of it mm-hmm. is what it is because it doesn't serve me. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I don't plan. It doesn't mean I don't have goals. It doesn't mean I don't actively work towards those goals, but I take a step with the hopes that it'll take me closer to knowing what that next step is rather than taking a step, thinking it's going to get me closer to my end goal. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's almost like a shorter timeline, but can I ask you to repeat, you said that within birth, you thought that any birth could be wonderful if there was gentleness. And what were the other two things? Kindness and consent. Kindness and consent. Thank you. So what I really wanted to ask you is if we go back to what we were talking about earlier with child rearing and sometimes losing our temper or not showing up in the exact way that we wanted to, what if we treated ourselves with gentleness, kindness, and consent in that area of our life? That could be a beautiful experience. Oof. Mic drop. <laughs> I've got a pen. I can do this. Um, yeah, I thought you were going to say treat our children that way, but you're saying treat oh, ourselves that treat way. Treat ourselves. Our children learn from what we do, not what we say. Mm. And if we say, like, I'm just going to put my kids as an example here. I have two girls. And if I say to my children, don't you ever let anyone else decide for you. Don't you let anyone push you around. You speak your truth. You stand in your power. And it doesn't matter if anyone else likes that. And then at home, I'm very, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, here, let me do this for you. Oh, I didn't mean to yell. You know, don't judge me. What am I doing? I'm saying that I'm not worthy of that. And our kids are going to hear our words. But what they really digest is yeah, but mom actually defers to other people and mom apologizes all the time. And mom isn't really expressing herself the way that I know she wants to. So I better be like her. Oh, why are you exposing all my garbage right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm exposing my garbage. Yeah. I know. I know. It's a group garbage exposal. I know, right? It's like a it dumpster is. fire I'm, right here. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of people that will listen and be like, oh yeah, I can join that dumpster fire. Yeah. Oh, there's previous like clean it up right now. Yeah. Okay. Let's go off of you for a second because we have something in common. I have two girls also, mine are 10 and eight. Now, when your kids were younger, did you get a lot of people who were like, oh, just wait till they're teenagers? Everyone. Having two girls? Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, my husband was the worst. So he used to say to me, um, because I'm in perimenopause, right? Well, I've got two girls in puberty. And he would say, like, starting probably a decade ago, when you all hit that time, I'm just going to be working overtime all the time. (laughs) Like, I'm not even going to be around. Like, have fun with that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. even my husband. And, um, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing. It is a million times different, but, oh, better than when they were little. And yeah. I hate to, to say that it's better or worse, but it really is better. And I think the reason why so many people try to warn us about teenagers is that 
they're messy and I don't mean messy in the house of course they're messy in the house but I mean they're messy yeah. like That's emotionally they're messy though the best people yes yeah but and physically emotionally and like because mamas are the safe place to land we are the ones that get the worst of it my girls treat my husband like their best friend and treat me like a sack of shit because I am the safe place and there's this belief that there's something wrong with that but again I I did my healing and I got to a point where I'm super comfortable with all the emotions I'm comfortable with getting angry I'm comfortable telling someone to fuck off (laughs) like I'm cool with it and so when someone comes at me with all their anger I'm like awesome like let's hear it let's release it let's get that out let's get to the bottom of it so you're not holding on to it anymore and when you can approach an angry hormonal teenager that's coming at you with acceptance and I see this and I'm here for it and then they let it out it like they're not holding it anymore they're not angry and it always ends in us you know I love you and thank you for listening and a hug and I think when it escalates into this really challenging situation is when we get our backs up yeah how do you do do that how do you deal with it it feels like it's directed at you or you feel like you're yeah like it's one thing I can hear what you're saying when they're angry about something but what about when they're angry at you and with you and you feel you feel charged personally yeah yeah okay so there's two two things that could happen the first one is that it's valid yeah. I did something really crappy. Yeah. And yeah. And they are having a valid emotional response. I can take that. No problem. Does it mean I like it? No, but it's, it's okay. And the second situation is that it's not valid and they are just taking it out on me. And I am very clear with my children that I will not stand for that. And if you start coming at me about something that is not actually my fault or involving in me, I tell them that I will listen to them, but I will not hold that for them, that energy, that anger. Don't put it on me. You can express it. We'll talk about it. I'll hold you while you cry. We'll go out. We actually have in our garage, a pile of wood, safety glasses, and a hammer. You want to take out your anger? Let's go out in the garage and beat the crap out of some wood. Like there are so many healthy ways to express anger other than putting it on another human. What about girls? No, that's not allowed. Yeah. What about the scenario where it's, um, it's not, it's a mix. It's not valid or invalid. It's, um, you know, they're frustrated about something you didn't respond in the best way. So now they're mad about their thing, but they're also mad about how you responded. Not well. Yeah. Um, And now it's just a mix of messiness where it's unclear to see who needs to deal with what. Maybe you both need to go to the wood pile and hit some things. Maybe, yeah, for sure. To be totally honest though, we don't get there anymore because we all know how to express our feelings. We know that it is safe to express our feelings. Honestly, the the times that it ever gets to that point, I can't remember the last time it got to that point because there's no need for it. When we overreact like that and where everything gets really confusing is when we're not given the the time, the space or the permission to get clear about where we are, right? 
So if I say, well, don't you yell at me or don't use that tone of voice or don't slam your door, that's when it gets all confusing. But if I'm like, yeah, slam your door, yell at me. I'm like swearing, obviously I swear, my kids swear, I fully support it, I'm a big fan. Um, the rules that those children have are so small, like so limited. I let them be them and do what they wanna do and mess up and learn from their mistakes. So there's not a whole lot of that confusion. Am I explaining that properly? I don't know if oh, I am. It is yeah. clear, yeah. So. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and make a few assumptions and you can tell me if they're wrong. Um, sure. so like talking about the husband, the male energy part of this equation, you said they treat yeah. him like a best friend, but yeah. like what happens in, in his world when the girls, um, are, are pushing and challenging his level of comfort with with anger, with frustration, with respect, with whatever could trigger him or do they just not go to him with that? They don't go to him. So does that, so I'm, I'm just thinking like, does that mean he's not a safe space for them? He's not as safe as space. No. And they will fully, again, we're open booked here. So they will say that to him very clearly. Mummy safer. Yeah. They know that they are loved. They know that he will always be there for them, but he has not done as much work on himself as I have. He mm -hmm. is not as aware of his own traumas and patterns mm -hmm. and therefore he has less control over them. Mm. So he will get angry. He will yell, he will walk away. My God, I feel so normalized right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, for the most part, no longer do that. I used to like all the time, but no longer do I. So why would they go to him? Yeah. Mm -hmm. For being honest, I'm not going to call up my friend that's going to judge me when I'm having a shit day. I'm going to call up my friend that goes, oh, that sucks. And I'm here for you. I feel a little volatile. Like I'm not sure which one's going to show up. Like, I feel like I could be you or I could be your husband. And so I know for one of my three sons, he'll go to his dad over me because yeah. it's safer. Which, yeah. I mean, if we want to talk about like shame, guilt and mom garbage, like that's all of it right there. Yeah. Yeah. But we're all both. It's not that I'm some perfect parent. I am the furthest thing from a perfect parent. Like, oh my God. The thing is I don't try to be perfect. So I don't have guilt and shame when I don't achieve it. Expectation, right? I don't expect myself to be perfect. I expect to make massive mistakes and then use those mistakes as learning opportunities to share with my children and bond with them over it because they're going to come up against the same thing when they if they decide to have children and mm. then they're going to be able to be like oh yeah okay I know what this is about I'm okay with dealing with it with sitting in this emotion and I know what my next step is to repair that again I think that the more we shield our children from reality from being human from mistakes from trauma the less opportunity they have to build that resiliency and the coping skills and the tools that they need that when they set when we send them out of the house at 18 like they're on their own i'm going to give my kids every opportunity to practice before they do that 
and perfect parenting, kind, quiet, polite parenting does not give them that. And I'm not saying yell at your kids if you're not angry, like, <laughs> just to be clear, but making mistakes, owning them and working with that, I think is a benefit. Yeah, I, uh, I can speak to the quiet, gentle parenting. I was never yelled at as a kid and then married somebody who grew up in a household where there's a lot of yelling. So definitely parenting together through that has been a learning experience because I, it's not what I grew up with, but there's nothing wrong with it either. People lose their- Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, and there's nothing wrong with being, keeping your calm. If you yeah. can do that and it's authentic, you really are calm. That's great too. Yeah. It's all and I good. Think that's, that's the, the clincher is if it's authentic. Yeah. Because yeah. if you are gritting your teeth to stay calm, then yeah, that's a different, they're, they're picking that up too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's all energy, right? And it's, I know that um, you've mentioned Gabor Mate on your podcast before, mm -hmm. and it's all of this attachment versus authenticity that he talks about and learning or not learning, teaching our children to co-regulate. Mm -hmm. That doesn't stop when they're a baby. Mm -hmm. That's a lifetime journey together. And this inauthenticity of when you say you're gritting your teeth to be nice, it's almost like, like they witness visually you being a nice parent, but every cell in their body is picking up that co-regulation and going, something's off. Mm. And what is so harmful with that is that we teach our children not to trust their instincts. Mm -hmm. When I can feel mom's angry, but mom says she's calm. Mm -hmm. Well, I love mom and she wouldn't lie to me. So I'm going to believe that she's calm. So clearly something's wrong with me because I'm feeling like she's angry. Um, I was thinking about the other end of that. When you've grown up in a household where a range of emotion is not acceptable. So you're in this very ra narrow range. Um, then maybe you even believe, like maybe even believe that you're being calm but you're just actually not allowing yourself to register mm -hmm. any emotion. 100%. Yeah. That's being stuck in a high tone parasympathetic state in your nervous system. That's that fawn freeze response. If, or even with the sympathetic, if you're in fight or flight, when our nervous system is dysregulated, and most of us have dysregulation because of the way our society teaches us to rear our children, right? We don't have the tools to do it, in my opinion. But when you stay in that state for long enough, it becomes your normal. You lose that ability to sense that things are off kilter. So I totally agree with that. What and science backs that up, right? Oh, 100%. Man, what would it look like if we had the tools? Oh, honestly, <laughs> I don't think there would be war. I don't think people would be starving to death. I don't think kids would be being abused. I mean, this is my whole belief system and why I do this work is I believe if we can heal our own stuff, the way we show up in the world is radically different. And everyone we come into contact with learns a little bit more about how to heal themselves. And it just kind of spreads out. If, if we were given the tools to do this, I can't even imagine it. I mean, it'd be amazing. What does your work with people look like? 
typically, well, I work in groups and I work one on one, but typically uh, I can't explain it <laughs> because <laughs> there is no, I don't follow a protocol. My belief is that every individual is just that, an individual. And even if I am working with 10 women who have had very similar experiences, how they process that, how they are currently holding on to that, the tools available to them at this moment are all going to be different. So when I work with someone, we just start with a conversation. Where are you? What are you feeling? What do you want? What do you need? And then I draw on all of the different tools that I have in order to help create a plan for them to heal themselves. Like I don't do the healing. And what does, the, job, right? what does the group work look like? Like what are some groups, things that you have done? So the, the main group that I have is called Collective Magic. And it is a bunch of women who are all on the same journey, but again, at different points on that journey with different experiences, reflections on that journey. And we do energy healing together. We do somatic work together. We do cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, you name it. And we get together sometimes daily. There's a forum where we can go and connect and talk every single day. And we are more than anything witnessing each other's healing. And can and you say a bit about what energy work is or looks like? So with the way I do energy work, and it's, it's intangible, it's hard to you know, put into words. Uh, but I have the ability to read people's bodies and energy. So when I connect to you, I am in your body. I feel what you're feeling. I can see your experiences, past, present, future. Your body talks to me and tells me what you need, which is often not what you think you need, right? We have a story of what we think is going on. Your body will never lie. So I attach to your body and then I call in all of your spirit guides, helpers on the other side. And they tell me things that I am not picking up on. And then between what your body is telling me and what your spirit guides are telling me, I will go in and help shift the energy, sometimes in yourself, sometimes in a past life, sometimes I work on neuroplasticity in the brain, you know, dissolving and creating new neural pathways to get rid of old thought patterns. And the energy work, it's not everything. You have to work on your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health as well. But when we have that energy release, all of that other work we do in our day-to-day -day lives becomes more effective because we don't have the energy holding us back. That's the best way I can explain it. I know it sounds like- That was good. Okay, good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, if you could put anything on a billboard, what would it say? It'd have swearing. That's fine. <laughs> swearing's fine on billboards, right? <laughs> it would say, you are fucking awesome exactly as you are. That's a good billboard. Think about it. If you saw that and you believed it, how yeah. would things be different in your life? If you honestly believe that about yourself. I wonder how many people honestly believe that about themselves. Like no one. Zero percent. I do. You do. One percent. Oh my God. I love myself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think I do, I do. some and days, definitely not every day. And again, it's not perfection. Yeah. It's not you're perfect. It's you're awesome. I am. And in my ugly parts, I own it. And I'm willing to work on it. I think that's awesome. 
And I can tell you the women that work with me, most of them think they're really awesome too. They are awesome. They are. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet that, you know, you could look at each other and wholeheartedly say you're awesome. Oh, 100%. You're awesome. Try looking in the... You're awesome. (laughs) So I challenge you, look in the mirror. Like really don't look at your body. Don't look at your hair. Don't look at, you know, whatever makeup you've got on. Look into your eyes. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, you're awesome. I love you. Just try it and see what happens. I'm going to make a great reel later. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go try it right now. I can't wait. Uh, We'll let you know how it goes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Melanie. This has been um, harder than I thought. (laughs) We need a decompression and then we'll have a part. We'll have you back. Yeah. I would love that. We'll spend some time in the mirror this afternoon. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. It was so great. You are amazing. (laughs) You are amazing. You are awesome. (laughs) Feeling is mutual. (laughs) Bye, Melanie. We would just love it if you would take the time to leave us a five-star rating, a review. If you'd subscribe to our show, you can screenshot it while you're listening to us and even share it on the gram. Remember, you are important too. Disclaimer, we are not medical professionals. Everything said here is our own opinion and not to be taken as medical advice. We do not take any responsibility from the outcomes of you taking our advice. Please seek medical advice from your trusted healthcare professionals.